Please pray with me. Father, this moment, this evening, I pray that we would hear your voice and that our hearts would be drawn closer to you. May we be people who abide in your Son and who wait on his word. Amen. Thank you all for flexing with us this week. Strange times. But I'm glad to see you all. John 21 has long been one of my favorite chapters of the Bible. It's a rich, beautiful chapter full of grace and kindness. It's a fitting end to the Gospel of John. It was actually the charcoal fire that's mentioned in verse 9 that first grabbed my attention as a 19 or 20-year-old. And that may seem strange to you that the fire grabbed my attention, but it was one of those moments when you're reading and you think, I've seen these words before, charcoal fire. And you go back hunting and hunting, and when you find them, you're stunned. The only other place that John mentions a charcoal fire is in chapter 18, in the courtyard of the high priest. In fact, it's the only other mention of a charcoal fire in the entire New Testament. It was at a charcoal fire that Peter denied Christ. And it's no accident that this breakfast where he is restored happens at that same sort of fire. When we fail greatly, when we sin greatly, the circumstances of our failure end up frequently being reminders of that failure and being in the same setting, seeing the same people, smelling the same smell can bring back a flood of shame. It's no accident that Jesus prepared a fire very much like the one that Peter was at when he denied the Lord. So that in that moment, as he restored him, he could confront his shame head on. Some interpret the fact that Peter had gone fishing as another failure on his part. The idea that he was abandoning the Lord's call, that he was going back to his old profession, that his denial had made him no longer worthy of being a disciple. Many interpret this moment in that way, and that may be correct. John doesn't interpret it for us. John 21 silent on that front. This may be Peter failing yet again, or it may be something as simple as the disciples saying, we need to feed our families. And until the Lord appears, that's as good of a thing to do with our time as anything else. For Paul, sowing tents wasn't incompatible with the gospel, proclaiming the gospel. And so perhaps for Peter, fishing when he had the time might not have been incompatible also. We don't know whether or not this was a failure on his part. But one thing is actually totally certain. That is that for Peter, fishing was no longer simply fishing. It was no longer a simple act. Jesus had made it something more. Jesus had connected fishing to Peter's calling. He was now to be a fisher of men. And every time he stepped in a boat, every time he handled the nets, 
every moment of the fishing would have been a reminder to him that you have been called to fish for men. He likely thought of Jesus' words as he was on the water. Fishing was no longer simply fishing. It was a reminder of his calling. This means that coming home empty-handed meant more than anxiety about the groceries. Coming home empty-handed pointed to something deeper because fishing itself pointed to something deeper. Coming home empty-handed fishing raised questions about his calling from the Lord. Would he ever succeed? You can imagine Peter at the end of that night of failure going, I can't even catch fish. How will I ever catch men? How will I ever succeed? My guess is that many of y'all, like me, can actually identify with Peter in this moment. After all, how many times have we actually given our energy given our time to something that we believe that we're supposed to be doing, given it to a calling that we believed we've seen from the, received from the Lord, and yet seen no fruit for our efforts? How many times have we given our energy to a project at work that seems vital, but nothing comes of it, or we fail in the midst of it? How many times have we attempted to guide or mentor somebody who's struggling, and yet there seems to be no fruit for all of our efforts. How many times have we sought even to raise our own kids in the faith, and yet seen that it's far more difficult than we expect? We, I think, can sympathize with this, because we, most of us, have had moments when we've poured ourselves out for someone or something and seen very little return. I imagine Peter felt like that. I fished all night. I failed at this. What if Jesus is wrong about my calling? The discouragement of those moments is deep. If you've ever prayed for someone for a long time and seen no fruit, no result. If you've ever worked hard to fix a relationship that just won't heal if you've ever tried desperately to fix something in yourself, to get rid of some sin, to change yourself, you know a bit what Peter probably felt like. Maybe I'll always fail. Maybe I can never succeed. Maybe God will never actually show up. But the beauty of John 21 is that Jesus did show up. As the day broke after this long night, there he was on the shore. Children, have you failed? Children, have you failed? Why don't you try the other side of the boat? As a fisherman, I can understand their response. Do you really think that we haven't tried every technique in the book? Do you really think we went out all night long and fished the same spot over and over? I can imagine their response as a fisherman, but they obeyed, and suddenly their labor resulted in incredible fruit. 
Jesus was illustrating something for them that he had said to them at the Last Supper, something I referenced last Sunday. At the Last Supper, Jesus said to them, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. They had worked all night and caught nothing. But as soon as he was present, suddenly they bore much fruit. I wonder if it dawned on Peter as he stood on that boat. I indeed will be a fisher of men. I indeed will bear much fruit as long as Jesus is standing beside me. I wonder if he thought back to those words and thought, as long as I abide in him, then there's the chance. But it took obeying Jesus, even if it didn't make sense. It took resting in his presence and wisdom. And suddenly, there was a reward for their labor. There was fish in abundance. Peter's given a glimpse of the future here. Remember, fishing is no longer fishing, for he was to be a fisher of men. There's a glimpse of the future. You will fish people into the kingdom of God if you abide in Jesus, if you are close to Jesus. I wonder if he remembered those words in this moment at Pentecost. I will fish people into the kingdom of God as long as as I stick close to Jesus. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. They experienced that all night long. But then he said, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. And in the morning when they saw him on the beach and listened to his words and obeyed him, they saw that come true. Tonight, the thing that I want all of us to hear is that these things are just as true for us as they were for Peter. After all, we oftentimes fish all night, struggling to accomplish the things that we think that we are supposed to accomplish. We sometimes do this ignoring or never even thinking of the presence of the Lord, spinning our wheels, struggling to do what we think we're supposed to do. Or sometimes we do these knowing that the Lord is there, yet ignoring his simple words, child, child, just cast your net on the other side. Sometimes his command to leave what we're doing with such ferocity seems terrifying. Even though that thing is yielding no fruit, the command to cast your net on the other side seems terrifying. How can I not keep trying to fix this? How can I let go of control of this? It will fall apart. We justify it. But I'm supposed to be doing this. I have to do this. Yet our fishing does nothing unless we abide in him, unless we obey his simple commands. I'm reminded of a funny story that I heard from one of the rectors in our diocese. Early in his church plant, he was convinced that he knew where the church was supposed to meet. 
I'm sure the story came to mind because of the situation that we're in. But early in his church plant, he was convinced that he knew where they were supposed to meet. And he's a fervent and joyful man, happy guy, committed to prayer, the sort of person who will talk to anybody in need and pray with anyone. And so he parked his car in front of the building where they were supposed to meet, facing that building. And he prayed, Lord, open these doors. Over and over, parks his car, faces the building, prays, Lord, open these doors. Fervent, fervent in his fishing. Imagine his surprise. Imagine the humor, the humility of it all when the, the building that actually ended up opening his doors to him was not the one that he was facing, but the one that was right behind his car the entire time that he never looked at. Child, cast your net on the other side. Cast your net on the other side. How many times have we been insistent that a situation will be fixed our way? How many times have we felt like this is what it means for this to get worked out? How many times have we been like that and yet our labor and our prayers seem to bear no fruit? Is Jesus standing on the shore saying, child, cast your net elsewhere? It's difficult to relinquish control. It's difficult to realize that God may be calling us to something different than what we think or calling us to deal with the situation that we're in differently than we are sort of pre-programmed to do. We think that we need to fix that person. And God may be saying, cast your net by just being faithful to them and quit trying to fix them. We think that we need to get our way in a situation with our team at work, with a family member, and perhaps the Lord is saying, cast your net elsewhere. Just be humble with them. We think that we need to get someone to agree with us. And the Lord may be saying, cast your net by simply praying for them. It's difficult sometimes for us to conceive that we are casting our net in the wrong direction. And we perhaps need to hear the Lord child, are you catching anything there? Are you catching anything there? Cast your net elsewhere. As I wrestled with this passage this week, something new leapt out that I've not noticed before. Jesus allowed them to beat the water all night long, seeking fruit of their own ma making. He allowed them to work all through the dark, experiencing no success. This grabbed me this week. It struck me. After all, how many times has he allowed us to struggle and to work and to pray without seeing the fruit, without seeing the result? I don't know why he did this with the disciples. I mean, after all, he could have shown up at 9 p.m. the previous night and saved an awful lot of effort, right? Wouldn't that have been easier? Why didn't he do that? Maybe they needed to learn perseverance. I don't know. Maybe they needed to understand to the core of their being the futility of working apart from him. 
Maybe they needed to grow in faith and hope. Maybe they needed deeper faith that would cling even when they didn't get results right away. Why doesn't he show up now and show us how to fix our situation? Why doesn't he deal with that situation with the child or the situation at work or the situation with our spouse? This is oftentimes what we want. We say, just fix it now. If you would just tell me what to do, I would do it, right? Just show me the right path. But sometimes he lets us cast our nets over and over and over for a long night. A night that sometimes lasts months or years as we pray for someone we love who's suffering and yet who will not change. Or as we pray that we would change and yet fail time and again to change ourselves. He lets us go through those long nights. And the fact that he did it with his disciples in this moment made me say, at least I'm not the only one. In his wisdom, he chooses the right time. He knows what he is doing with us. He chooses the right time in his wisdom It can be hard to maintain in those moments during those long nights of fishing, of casting the nets in the darkness. Our faith can be weakened. It can tremble and feel like it's about to fall apart. It's more important than we realize in those moments when our faith is hanging by a thread because it seems like we're just waiting in the dark for him to show up. It's more important in those moments than we realize to keep gathering together, to pray with each other, to worship together. It's more important than we realize to share our discouragement with one another, to be encouraged by one another, trying to go it alone, hiding the struggle, pretending like our faith is all right, even though we're hanging by a thread, is a recipe for getting broken, for giving up, for abandoning the faith. Two of the New Testament books that deal with this issue of perseverance in darkness most directly, 1 Peter and Hebrews, both contain encouragements. Don't stop coming together. Share these things with each other. Pray with one another. Encourage each other. Being alone in those moments is dangerous. If I can stretch the fishing analogy a little bit too far, It's like that lone fish in the sea that's prey for the sharks. By coming together in schools, there is safety. But back to Jesus. In his wisdom, he chooses the right time. He chooses the right time to appear on the shore. And at that moment, when he makes it clear, here is where your net is to be cast, that's the moment when we need to leap, to go, to follow, to obey, Without hesitation, I will abide in you whatever the costs. I don't need to know the result. Your voice and your voice alone is enough for me. It needs to be stated in a sermon like this that the fruit oftentimes does not look like what we expect. Both the prosperity gospel and the word of faith movement are heresies that assume that we know the fruit God is going to produce in our lives. 
Many great saints of old testify that God's fruit doesn't always look like success. It doesn't always look like getting our way. It doesn't always look like everything in life working out. In Jesus' wisdom, he knows the time, but he also knows the exact fruit that we need. If you look at that and hear that and say, I'm not so certain then that that fruit's worth waiting for. I'll just keep doing things my own way. I'll take matters into my own hands. If that's what tempts you, because waiting and then moving to a direction that may not be exactly what you want seems too difficult. If that's what tempts you, consider the scene on the beach. The disciples stumbling out of their boat, wet, tired, yet now exhilarated by the catch. What do they find? Breakfast. Breakfast laid for them. This is more significant than we realize. We are waiting on the Lord who would feed us. In the book of John, Jesus' first miracle is at a feast, right? In John 6, after he'd miraculously fed people yet again, he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Just a chapter later, at one of the great feasts, he stood up and he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures say, out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. At Last Supper again, he offers his disciples true food, his presence itself. He spoke of a banquet to come where he would dine with him. Feeding his disciples flows through the gospel story. The point that I would make with y'all is very simply this. Our Lord is worth waiting for because he is the one who feeds us. Here I'm no longer talking about literal food, of course. But the food that our souls long for if you are hungry and thirsty, wait for him. If you look inside and say, I feel so empty and dry, come to the fountain of living waters. If you are without strength, if you know that you cannot satisfy yourself in spite of the thousands of times that you have tried, come to the bread of life. Those who do will find themselves fed, and in due time, in his time, they will find themselves even bearing fruit for others. Amen.